Welcome to Postwave. You're here with Eric and Trevor. What's up? So we haven't really done a, an episode about uh, current events and the virus directly yet, but uh, we thought it was time to kind of talk about what it's been like for us as musicians and music teachers uh, to live through this thing and and uh, how, how it's affected like our daily lives and, and our careers and kind of the way we think about uh, what we do in the world. And also how it relates to broader changes in the music industry that are already happening. Yeah. Yeah, it came, it came at a very, very interesting time um, <laughs> <laughs> in the history of recorded music, which I'll remind people has only been around for like about 100 years. Like we take it for granted as this like uh, thing that's that's just a fixture of the world and has been around you know, as long as anyone can remember, basically, because um, it has been for anyone who's alive right now. But um, like, it's not it's not written down anywhere that there needs to be like a recorded music industry and that uh, that's just like what what music is and how the industry functions. Yeah, both uh, historically and evolutionarily, the purpose of music has been far from anything that could be commodified it's been a means of connecting as a group of people it's been a means of cohering and sharing an identity yeah yeah something, something to like gather around and uh and kind of like recharge with yeah and, and in yeah. the creation of it as well mm -hmm. the the barrier between the people who create and the people who consume never was so strong as it is now. Yeah. Although, I mean, you could say that like the ubiquity of, uh, of like cheaply available software and stuff has, has, has mm. like, uh, made a lot more people, uh, uh, try creating it. Um, like try their hand at creating it um like more than would otherwise yeah that's true but it's not it's everyone's kind of like isolated like mm. if you're not uh because i you know a lot of those people fall into the category of like not really collaborating with anyone um right it's kind of on their own um so like the community aspect of it isn't so much there We've talked about this a little bit already, but um, so maybe, maybe we should just talk about like what what it was like for both of us back in March when this whole thing kind of started. Um, and I know I know you said uh, we talked about this earlier, and you said that not a whole lot changed. Yeah, <laughs> for, <laughs> for you. Um, but for me, it was kind of dramatic because uh, basically uh, I was slated to play like I don't know 
five or six different shows during South by Southwest in Austin. Mm. And uh, they ended up canceling the whole festival. Um, at least all the official stuff, like, I don't know, a week or two before it was supposed to happen when there like weren't any cases in uh, Austin yet. And, uh, and not even really in Texas. Um, and everyone was like, Oh, this is so crazy. Like, why are they doing this? Like, you know, I'm still playing hashtag. I'm still playing or whatever it was. Um, and, and not to sound like smug or whatever, but I was like, yeah, that makes sense <laughs> that they would cancel, cancel it. Cause people, you know, were coming from out of town and it's not just, the music it's like a conference and and uh you know people staying in hotels and and just a lot of people mixing and whatever and uh and then it was like uh i think the week before like there were like two cases that popped up in austin two or three um and and then gradually everything started just like shut down and i, I backed out of my gigs i think like I think the day after the first couple of cases showed up and it literally went from like two to four within the first day, <laughs> like doubling and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah. And like I said, people, people were, were initially like, you know, kind of brushing it off and, uh, um, not really thinking it was a big deal, um, which kind of freaked me out a little bit. Um, just because it's the, the nature of exponential growth is is like unintuitive and uh yeah mm. i think people kind of uh underestimated how how quick it could take off um i have to say it was <laughs> it's a little bit of just a like a stress relief for me because i was i had a couple one gig in particular that i was like super stressed about and just kind mm. of uh <laughs> wasn't that excited about anymore and uh and it was just gonna be it was gonna be like a really stressful week so Mixed mixed feelings there. <laughs> uh -huh. Well, let's talk but. about that because that's interesting and maybe something that people don't think about a lot is how stress affects musicians and how that stress affects the music. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I I think people have like this perception, rightly, like, that music is hard and that that anyone anyone could do it, but that like the people who do it obviously have it so together that it's not stressful for them mm -hmm. like it's just all it's all like joy and and fun and uh happy even if it's if it's hard work you know uh -huh. um which uh ideally that's that's true if you can get to that place then like yay good for you <laughs> <laughs> uh, or if you can get to that place like most of the time um but yeah, I mean, what happens to me is if I'm if I'm like stressed out about a music thing that I I tend not to like want to listen to other music or like because uh, it's all just kind of clouded by mm. like thinking about the other thing and and um and, yeah you know, solution to that is to to practice <laughs> more uh. but um <laughs> but sometimes you're like I've already practiced like two hours today on these like you know mm -hmm. few songs and. Well, do you think like... that maybe uh, a prominent source of that stress comes from it being in a... Uh, do you think a prominent source of that stress might be that we are part of a free market capitalist society where in order to put food on the table and save for your future and that kind of thing, you have to do the gig and you have to do it good, right? 
Yeah, I mean, th that's not really where the stress was coming from for me. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, because all these gigs, I wasn't like really making any money, like any oh. significant money from them. Hmm. Uh, it was more just then? like, uh, well, it's it's the thing where like you know, you, uh, well, I wanted to just you know get exposure and exposure. like you know the more gigs you <laughs> the, the more gigs you say yes to that the more the chance that like someone will you know see you and and want you to play at another gig. Yeah, so um, it's it's just kind of the same thing, one step removed, right? It's like maybe you're not doing it for the money right now, but it's so that you can make this a career right not i mean like basically so like uh back in february and march when this was all all going on i could have just kept playing with the main guy uh so like the the two or three man main bands I, I was like a regular with which was uh elijah zane and the peacemakers and uh the east side blue syndicate and soul finger and which were kind of my, my core band and um if I just kept doing that and teaching lessons and playing piano at, at the Waldorf school that I, I was playing at, um, I would have been like fine on income pretty much indefinitely. Mm. Um, but it's more about, you know, getting opportunities with, with different kinds of bands and stuff. And the, the band that ended up stressing me out was like a, like a prog rock kind of band, which was exciting for me because I was, mm. because it's one of my you know favorite genres as, as, uh, as we've talked about. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, let's do it. Um, but the leader ended up being kind of hard to work with and just, you know, we, uh, running like uh, three hour rehearsals then ended up turning to like four hours. And like the bass player was driving down from Dallas and he was like late sometimes. And so it would just, and we were having rehearsals at my house. So like, I couldn't really, you know, <laughs> do anything about it. And, uh, and yeah, he, he was just not very respectful of, of like people's, uh, people's time, I guess. So there was that and then like uh and then the music he was like trying to get me to like uh learn all the keyboard parts and all the horn parts and do backup vocals because i'm the keyboard player and so like when the horns aren't there he wanted me to to learn the horn parts for that and i was trying to like do this all by memory and uh and i had i had like choir rehearsal stuff going on it was just and i i was i was slacking a little bit honestly but like um i had a lot on my plate <laughs> mm. um so not not entirely his fault um uh at all um but it just kind of added to the stress of the situation interesting um, yeah <laughs> um and yeah we, we just had one like we had had like a um a rehearsal with just him and me and the bass player um like a a, <laughs> a three-hour rehearsal on a day after we had already had like a three-hour rehearsal um i forget if that had been the one that where the bass player was late or not um but, um, and it was fun. Like we, we learned all the background vocal parts or I learned the parts and like, it was coming along easier than I expected. And, uh, and then I had like the weekend and we had another rehearsal on, um, I guess maybe it was the following Monday. Yeah. And I, I kind of like lost some of the parts and, and like thought I had them down better than I did. And, uh, I was just kind of messing up and it was like this, the penultimate rehearsal before, um, uh, before like the, the show. Um, and it's like it was stressing me out, and uh, so maybe yeah. the, the, a lot of your stress came from working with particular individuals. Yeah, I mean that that was that was that was most of it. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean it was just that that kind of that one thing. But I think a lot of musicians do face stress 
for other reasons than this one guy that was hard to work with, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And I think a lot of it is people who need to put food on the table and playing music is the means by which they can do that, right? Totally, yeah, yeah. And so how does that stress affect the music? I mean, I I think it makes people play it safer. I have a general. quote here from The Prophet by Khalil Gibran, where he says, Work is love made visible. And if you cannot work with love, but only with distaste, it is better that you should leave your work and sit at the gate of the temple and take alms of those who work with joy. For if you bake bread with indifference, you bake a bitter bread that feeds but half a man's hunger. And if you grudge the crushing of the grapes, your grudge distills a poison in the wine. And if you sing, though as angels, and love not the singing, you muffle man's ears to the voices of the day and the voices of the night. Damn. What was the author's name again? Khalil Gibran. That was, uh, was beautiful. Um. <laughs> yeah, this <laughs> book is incredible. One of the, I think, most pure sources of wisdom that's on the market today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, uh, that definitely resonates with me. I mean, I, uh, kind of goes along with with uh no matter what you think is is like the most important thing in the world to be doing like if if you're gonna either burn out it it or not do a good job because you you end up hating it then like it's not the right thing for you to do and yeah. you need to either like re-examine how you can do it with with joy or, or like find something else to do definitely yeah i mean for me uh yeah pursuing music as a, as a career has definitely made it kind of a way more of a love hate relationship than, than it was for me, like throughout school. Mm -hmm. Um, so I wonder if maybe there is something that just doesn't work right with having free market capitalism with music production. There's always going to be that grinding in a lot of musicians between their, their love and their need for survival. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I agree. And uh, I, uh, maybe we'll get to this more later, but I think the answer is uh, is to have more uh, situations where artists can be given enough to live on, so that they can, uh, you know, have the space to to create art um without you know pressure of uh just trying to scrape by and make a living yeah like a universal basic income yeah yeah um but also like uh i i'm sure there's a reason this isn't already happening but like you know streaming services establishing like contracts with with artists directly and and saying hey we're gonna pay you like this much for the year just to mm -hmm. to make the the music that you want to make and i mean maybe establish some kind of 
quota or not, but uh, some some kind of uh, like we we will make sure you're living comfortably, if not lavishly, and in return, uh, you know, keep making music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow, that would be incredible. It's like the ideal of what the record industry was supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's kind of pie in the sky and it is you're right, it is pretty much like the old model of, you know, once someone was big enough, they would basically just get like a um they would just get supported by the record company and can make enough that um they didn't really have to worry too much about, you know. Mm. But maybe do you think the reason why no one's doing that yet is because it's more expensive than just piggybacking off of the work of the artists and not paying them? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah, they, they got to maximize, you know, shareholder value and uh, all that all that good stuff. But that maybe one of the points of this article that we read is that I do want to. Could you introduce the article, actually? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so this article we're talking about is on the uh, Esquire magazine website, and it's titled, Coronavirus Might Kill the Music Industry. Maybe it needed to die. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, it's uh, it's centered around the fact that... Uh, like we, like we mentioned right now that the music industry is still kind of uh in a state of upheaval um after first Napster and kind of uh music piracy um just kind of made all music available for free uh potentially um and then all these streaming services came along in the last uh decade or so and uh started making that legal and uh even before that i mean just you know the fact that you could like uh buy a cd and then rip it onto your computer and then sell it on amazon for you know like basically full price if you wanted to um or you know but you could just buy you cds that wouldn't uh give anything back to the the artist um i think that definitely contributed to it as well mm -hmm. um but yeah g given that the the state of the music industry is what it is the um it's uh it's tempting to to want to believe that uh that now that the the uh global pandemic has just driven it so completely off a cliff that um people will accept some some like radical solutions to to the problems yeah, because maybe they won't have any other choice. The yeah. companies won't have any other choice but to pay musicians or else not have musicians. Yeah, or not, not have good musicians. <laughs> <laughs> but when have they ever cared about that? <laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh, High-quality high, high produced musicians. Mm -hmm. With big tits. Uh, <laughs> well um what was happening before covid was that artists were having to rely pretty much entirely on uh ticket sales to live shows to support themselves and uh, that led you know a lot of 
acts to have to just pursue these like relentless tour schedules um just to make ends meet um and it kind of means that you know although like the recorded album uh is kind of you know like the like the central uh product that's like you know defines the defines the artist and all that uh it's kind of just become uh like a, a marketing tool Mm-hmm. for for like the live shows as far as 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 far as like a, a business perspective goes even though um, it's the almost the <clears throat> excuse me even though it's the main way that people engage with their music is through yeah. listening to it and live streaming yeah. or da- downloading it yeah yeah like if you think about like all the blood sweat and tears that goes into producing something like that and all the you know all the money the artist has to spend creating it um usually um Mm. it's it's really it's really odd that it's it's so flipped do you think there's a problem though with actually independent music producers because music has been only only the last decade or two it's, it's become so much more approachable for people to produce master their own music and create a a finished product do you think that that could actually pose a problem with people trying to make do so that they put in a lot of effort create this music and then go straight to the digital streaming where they get no money yeah yeah i mean totally um i mean i I myself have just you know put out like a song and all the streaming services just to kind of have something there without you know going through like the the rigorous like have someone else mix and master it just kind of you know Mm -hmm. seeing what i can do myself yeah i mean it definitely creates a risk that uh uh there's going to be a a lot of like wasted potential out there um that like uh music that if people kind of uh took the time and went through all the steps that it could have uh like reached so many more people Although I think that's more of a, um, uh, maybe more of like a marketing thing, like with, just with how you promote. Yeah, you put if it up people there. are maybe and, you know, more intentional and don't just go straight to Spotify, maybe yeah. they have a better chance. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta like build the build the audience before you uh, can expect anyone to to listen to your stuff there in like any any huge numbers. I heard a stat that something like 85% of all of the music on Spotify has zero plays. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's pretty depressing. <laughs> yeah, which brings me to another point. Uh, at the beginning of this article, they mention a truism that, and I quote from the article, While Spotify may have gutted the income you make from records, it makes it easier for people to find your music. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I think it's true. It's true in the sense that, uh, I mean, if, you know, if you like shared something on social media that people didn't have to go to, you know, the record store to buy it or, uh, or even just, you know, buy it in itunes or on amazon or whatever 
mm. as as like an mp3 they can just you know go to whatever app they use and, and it's like right there and they can like save it or whatever and listen to it as much as they want but i i think i think what they're trying or what, what they're talking about is that like uh uh, what they're talking about is people finding it without you promoting it like just oh people are going to be like browsing on mm. on these services and are going and are going to like you know find you find you that way but isn't there a problem with that oh totally because <laughs> if everyone's on Spotify or or similar platforms then there's just too much stuff out there no one's going to just stumble upon you yeah Especially if, if everyone's being like hyper prolific because they, uh, because that's kind of what it takes. And, uh, I, I don't know if you saw, uh, this is in the news a while ago. Um, but the CEO of Spotify, um, did this interview where he, he, uh, look at the actual quote. Um, I mean, you know, it, they were talking about the, the, thing that's like repeated and repeated how uh how musicians get like you know fractions of a cent for for streams and uh and right rightly so uh that people should be pissed off about that um yeah i mean he said he said uh you can't record music once every three to four years and think that's going to be enough um and that uh the people who aren't doing well in streaming are predominantly people who want to release music the way it used to be released. Um, and also that, uh, that people are, are, you know, in, in, in public, they'll, they'll like bash Spotify, but, but privately they're, they're like happier with, with the streaming revenues. Um, <laughs> you know, easy, easy claim to make there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hear that all the time. Oh, I make so much on my streaming revenue. <laughs> um, yeah, it's inevitable as musicians when you were on our social media every once in a while, you'll see one of our people we went to school with or a professor, they'll post a screenshot of their income broken down by venues and the... There's, you know, $30 in one category, a few hundred dollars in another category, and then, like, two cents in the streaming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the yeah. The sad thing, though, is, is that, like, streaming itself is never going away now that it's, like, everyone has that perception that that's kind of the... Right. ...the default or, like, the thing to beat. Um... um I, I am curious if like almost everyone was signed up for, you know, $10 a month or whatever, what that would look like if, if, you know, if they would actually rebalance it so that record companies and, and the streaming services themselves weren't getting so much. Mm. Like, I feel like that, that could actually be sustainable. Cause like, that's, I mean, when I was still buying albums regularly, it's, it's, that's kind of what it was. It was like, you know, an album or two per month. Yeah. Um, uh, I personally still do it that way. I don't have yeah. a Spotify account. Yeah. Yeah, I do at the moment, but I'm I'm thinking about switching to to Title or something. Yeah, right. What what's the deal with Title? Uh, they just give much better royalty payments to uh to artists, and they uh. I think for ten dollar a month, 
it ten dollars a month it's it's like standard definition but they offer like a like a high definition streaming thing for i think 20 bucks a month oh sure bleed the audio files yeah. <laughs> bleed, bleed the audio files as in p-h-i-l-e-s oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's the other thing people will complain about with streaming is that it's it's making people uh, used to to the sound of low quality audio. Right. Uh, I saw there was a. <clears throat> I saw there was a conference on uh, about mixing and mastering. All all the audio engineers go to this conference, and by far the most popular speaker at the conference was talking about how streaming platforms automatically apply certain compression to all of the sound to make it even volume but that that drastically affects the way that you have to master the sound to make to make the best sound it kind of completely tips on on the head a lot of the existing theories which are centered around like creating large dynamic variability and a, a big sa- sound. You can't do that anymore if it's all being compressed and levelized. Oh yeah, yeah. You should send me that because I think I, I think I maybe saw the same thing on YouTube, um, where he was he like played uh, like a couple different styles of music and and you know one that would traditionally have been like I think it was like a country song or something and then uh, some kind of like jazz fusion thing. And then I forget um, what the third genre was, but um, something where it was like the first, you know, first one was less compressed, the second one was more, the third one was was the most compressed. And then he he played uh, uh, then he played the way that they would be like normalized in the streaming service, and it was completely flipped. That you know, the 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 most like limited uh, sausageified one seemed seemed quietest. Yeah. Sausage which is which is maybe a good thing because i mean <laughs> uh it's not, it's not like you know bands constantly trying to to sound louder just like from the mastering on the radio is necessarily like a, a good thing yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can just do the the trick that mars will to do though where the first part of the song is like really really quiet <laughs> yeah <laughs> Do you want to help out some starving artists during these trying times? <laughs> you can do that in a couple of simple ways. Just uh, tell your friends about us, share our episodes on social media, uh, give us a nice review, uh, smash that subscribe button. Smash the subscribe.
bringing it back to the the pandemic, have you have you personally noticed any any change in in your relationship with the way you listen to music and and consume music or or <laughs> relate to? Nope. <laughs> so, nope. So some con- totally some context same. here. I am on a little island with about two music venues. No one comes to the island to perform. So it's just like the <laughs> same three bands that play the same two bars every whatever. Um, I have not noticed a big change in the way that I engage with music. Yeah. Um, <laughs> even, even with my business of teaching music well there was definitely a drop off in number of students at the time that the virus hit but I have retained about half my students and uh, slowly building back up so uh, I mean basically the only difference is that I now do a lot of my lessons virtually now so that I have a lot of screen time with laggy video and compressed audio (laughs) that's about it (laughs) yeah so so like i mentioned i I was like pretty stressed uh right around the the time this all hit back in march with south by south by southwest and uh and as we discussed on our on our first episode i've also been going through kind of like an existential crisis as far as like why I'm doing music and and uh, what the meaning of it all is, and uh, <laughs> I feel like it was kind of a uh, um, <laughs> a George Bailey and It's a Wonderful Life moment, where uh, the universe like showed me <laughs> like, oh, you wish this didn't exist, or you think this isn't important. <laughs> like, here's how it would be, <laughs> and and like a pretty pretty eerie yeah, eerie way. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's fascinating. <laughs> Welcome yeah. to the Twilight Zone. Yeah, it makes you wonder about like backwards causality and and like uh, just you know. Trevor, the entire coronavirus <laughs> is your fault. It all happened just <laughs> to show you this. Uh, uh. <laughs> Well, I mean, the flip side of that is that everyone else is a zombie, and I'm in the I'm the only one who's uh, of course. <laughs> actually aware. So, so I don't think either one is true. But <laughs> it's a breakfast of champions, right, Kurt Vonnegut? Oh, I I read that book, but it's it's been a long time. Uh, there's some CEO who gets convinced of the idea that he's the only one who's real, and everyone else is just there to please him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I need to read that book again. Mm. Yeah. Um, we could do an episode on that. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, I'd love to have an excuse to read some Vonnegut. So yeah, but but I keep thinking about something you you said in our first episode. Uh, or I kept thinking about something you said in our first episode about. Um, just how if you're if you're living in like a uh, very kind of austere urban environment like New York or something where there's not a lot of nature around, um, that music and art can kind of help humanize things and and make 
make things feel more more cozy and and less uh artificial and all that stuff mm. um and i definitely find that you know when i'm when i'm just like in my house or in my apartment you know 24 7 uh for all intents and purposes um that uh it's uh it's something i really need and something i i, mm. I uh that like recorded music definitely definitely does for me i think that's really true and i feel the same way a lot of the time i i that that's one of the things that struck me so much about when you proposed this like how has the coronavirus affected the way we engage with music and what was so striking to me was how little it changed things because mm-hmm. the the main effect of it is keeps people isolated away from each other in their own homes experiencing the media alone in isolation mm-hmm. like that that's what our society is kind of already like right yeah or maybe i'm just a sad loser (laughs) (laughs) on an island with no no live music scene (laughs) yeah (laughs) Um, no but but all all that aside i think there's an absolute certain trend in our society towards separation between individuals and media entertainment as a means of filling that void or attempting to yeah and the other side of that is that you can uh because there's so much content out there you can just dial in exactly what you want and you don't really have to care if if you know enough people want to go see that uh to have that person book a show in your area or anything like that you can just you know um find whatever little niche you want and uh Mm. and like occupy yourself with it isn't there something kind of sad about that i mean it's one-sided it's it's consumptive i mean yeah but i mean there's also someone else on the other side of that who's making it and also has you know uh similar tastes and and they're they're communicating with you i think you know a pretty meaningful way uh Mm. Yeah, I mean, not to bash it. I think there's really cool stuff going on with, like, this is how I produce my music and talking through and answering questions, those those kind of live events. And, yeah, you get the niche audience of all the people who are into the music production who want to listen. But um, I think if you're relying on that in place of genuine human connection then eventually that well is going to run dry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Although I will say something I noticed just the other day um, when this uh, this new music choir I'm, I'm a part of, uh, Inversion Ensemble, did a, uh, a live stream uh, like debuting the, the recording we re- recently made of uh, the music that was supposed to be on our final concert for the season, but it ended up getting canceled because of COVID. But um, we all uh recorded our parts individually and then our our director spent you know like 100 plus hours like editing everything together in in logic (laughs) and lining up all the s's and and the t's and whatever and um and i don't know there's something especially as a composer like i I didn't have a piece on the on the concert but um 
like being able to see people commenting on on moments in your piece in real time mm. is 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 pretty cool because i mean okay. like you know someone could come up to the uh to you after the concert and be like oh yeah i like that one part with you know the the some unspecific description <laughs> sometimes um mm. but there's there's something kind of cool about seeing it in in real time and directly like oh, that. that's maybe, awesome. maybe that's yeah maybe that's like an ego just like an ego feeding thing but i think there's something <laughs> something to that that's like pretty uh wholesome <laughs> yeah i think you're right yeah i think maybe you really can have genuine human connection in certain streaming contexts yes makes me think about when i was a kid when i would be on the computer playing whatever video game online and chatting with my friends constantly and my mom would come over like why are you on the computer all the time you need to be out socializing with people i say mom I am talking with people. <laughs> <laughs> what, what were you? Were you playing like uh, uh, RuneScape games? <clears throat> RuneScape, yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I know my my girlfriend Maddie. Uh, I don't know if she goes on Tumblr at all anymore, or just like less frequently. But uh, she's definitely developed like pretty, pretty like. Uh, uh, nuanced and like deep relationships with people she's met on there who just share like relief, you know, um, like particular interests and stuff. And, uh, and yeah, it's, yeah, it's not like, not like, uh, like rich, meaningful relationships can happen, uh, online, even if, you know, whether they're like drawn out or, uh, or just kind of, uh, one off interactions or whatever mm -hmm. i think where the challenge comes in is when you try to incorporate it into something that's monetized like your career as a musician yeah you know, if, if there's you know, money exchanging hands that that makes it harder to have a genuine connection or, or, or that, that, that's actually not true. I'm going to take that, that back because I think about some of my students. And sure, there's definitely a genuine, meaningful connections that's, that's happening there. Uh, I will say, though, that there is definitely a level of separation that's inherent in that kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. Because of the money? Yeah, because of the money. Uh, and... I mean, that, that's a part of the necessity, but also because of the exchange of energies, you know, if one person is being paid, then they may uh, be incentivized to endure things that otherwise they wouldn't have the patience for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I like to think the enduring things come comes out of just wanting to see the student through like whatever block they're experiencing. But you, you yeah, there, there's that, definitely there's at a, a limit. certain point. Like if you have a, a student who, even after a long time, is showing no signs of starting to practice ever. Yeah. 
there's only so much energy you can put into that without feeling like you need the monetary compensation to make it worth your while. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I try to get in the mindset of, uh, like, especially with, uh, well, with adults too, but, but like with kids, like you're, you're giving them this kind of like one-on-one interaction, um, and like teaching them to do something that they like, they probably aren't getting that kind of thing, uh, hardly at all in the rest of their, their Mm. life. I mean, that's true even when it's, when it's in-person lessons, but, um. I think it's yeah it's it's a like a, a relationship that, that can be like uh like pretty pretty significant even if you know the, the the student doesn't uh like totally see it that way yeah yeah i mean yeah thinking back to my own teachers when i was growing up david osuna and dewey marler um they were definitely very influential to me even in the stretches of time when, when I wasn't practicing. Yeah. <laughs> There's a popular YouTuber by the name of Tom Scott. Have you seen any of his stuff? Uh, I don't think I have. It's, I mean, it's good. It's, it's very kind of broad audience informational kind of thing. But he did this one episode where he talked about how strange it was that the expectation had sort of become not that he was sharing the information, but that he was sharing his own personality and that that is what drew fans and led people to keep coming back and engaging, not that they liked the material he was producing but that they started to feel like they had a connection with him like an interpersonal connection Mm -hmm. and he found that really kind of off-putting and and troubling because there really was no interpersonal connection it's it's a one-way street yeah it's that whole like uh parasocial relationship thing yeah that people talk about a lot, um, which is, uh, I mean, at the same time that it's, it's not the best thing in the world. I mean, there, there's something cool about the fact that, uh, that's possible for, for one person to, to give all these people that, that sense, even if it's, <laughs> uh, someone it could be somewhat misguided. Yeah, I mean, it's it's cool. I mean, I, in one sense, I think it can be a harmless and a beneficial thing. You, you know, you have heroes who inspire you and you get to know their work intimately and you start to feel like you know them in a certain way. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you don't have an awareness that there there is that level of separation there that's inherent to that kind of dynamic, then you can get led into a trap yeah yeah and then and then just get kind of placated with not having that many actual real relationships in your life yeah that are that go beyond that it's that phenomena of media taking the place of genuine interpersonal connection that we were talking about right right i guess one thing that's that's occurred to me is is another way um that uh 
people can kind of combat the the loss of revenue from streaming is is uh just to encourage people more to get out to live shows is uh create more and more music that's that's not like released as recordings like material that's only performed live or or like radically mm. different versions of songs that, that don't really have a recorded analog yeah right that uh that's something that i wanted to ask you trevor do you think that pre-recorded tracks inherently has a level of separation between the listener and the music totally i mean uh it gets a little more complicated with electronic music where the whole thing has to be kind of produced and and tailored and and sculpted in in a daw but um yeah i mean with it with a band that's that's just you know some people with their instruments even if those instruments are electronic then uh i think there there is kind of a layer of separation between like the the clean uh polished kind of refined uh studio final product and and the the actual experience of of like seeing humans uh perform something in front of you definitely it kind of takes away the back and forth that you have in the live moment there's a shared energy that you you can't have yeah yeah it's all about the back and forth mm. <laughs> I, I forget if that's a Kurt Vonnegut thing or not. There's there's some <laughs> there's some novel where they keep referring to it as, as back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, horizontal gene transfer. <laughs> it's all the really horrible metaphors. <laughs> Actually, actually, they're euphemisms. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm curious, like, uh, I mean, I guess this is uh, predicting like future events in science and medicine, which neither of us can really do that well. But like, do you think, uh, like, how how long do you think this is gonna last? And then like how. Uh, how do you think music will adapt if this lasts for like say like five years or something or like 10 years or something like that yeah I mean from all I've heard it's not going away we're not going to have a vaccine within five years and uh, because humans suck at coordinating we can't all just like chill out for two weeks and then it's gone <laughs> right like couldn't we do that yeah. couldn't we all just no, we totally, like, we t i mean it, it would have to be a little longer than two weeks but i've heard like if everyone could just stay put for like six weeks then we would basically be fine <laughs> yeah wouldn't that be nice <laughs> yeah and i still don't understand the people who are saying oh we can't do that because business <laughs> and like Meanwhile, like it, it, it's either that or like years of of just like this the same shitty situation. Yeah, I mean, on one hand, like it, I think it would be great 
but I do, I do think it is pretty idealistic until we have a utopian society because there's a lot of people out on the heels who have to make it work day by day and they can't worry about little things like disease if if their main concern is just like eating dinner tonight you know yeah no, it would have to be like i mean it wouldn't be feasible to do this like in, in the entire world but like the u.s could maybe feasibly like or maybe like state by mm. state like say we're gonna we're everyone stay in your houses we're gonna like deliver food to you uh uh, we'll like pay your pay your rent, pay your mortgage for that time. I mean, again, I think that the impression that we have as like fairly well off. I mean, we're not we're not wealthy by any means, but we're doing okay economically, and everyone around us is doing okay. It's easy to lose sight of the fact that. Uh, about half of Americans are living in poverty and uh, a decent percentage of those are living in extreme poverty where you're not going to have people coming by and delivering food to them at their apartments, <laughs> you know? Right. No, well, no, I'm, I'm not saying that they would pay for it. I'm saying like the U S government would, I mean, that's what the, I think that's what they did in Wuhan. Uh, like that the government, like delivered food to people's houses and and like imposed an actual lockdown what if you don't have a house what if you live in a nebulous slum with like uh, a whole bunch of other people and that the police don't go there because it's too violent yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah you you have a point but but like something Something like that could could happen for like, uh, I don't know, lar large sectors of 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 like cities and and. I mean, it's it's tempting, and I, I would love that to be the case, but uh, I think the fact remains that we're not going to have that sort of coordination. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, it, yeah. It's it's more complicated than that, but it, it would be nice. <laughs> sure would. Uh, so the question then, how how is this going to affect us? And I think eventually people are, to a certain extent, going to go back to life as normal, regardless of the fact that it means that the virus will spread. I think that there will be a resurgence of outbreak as people f finally realize, no, it's not going to go away when the fall hits. You know, mm -hmm. it didn't go away when the spring came. It didn't come away over the summer. It's not going to go away in the fall, and it's not going to go away the next year. So it's something that we're going to have to adapt to which means eventually people becoming exposed to it and then in time which which is kind of a realize that there's a lot of who will be killed and horribly affected by by this happening but i think it's inevitable and i think that um 
we could probably start thinking about it now with intention about how, how to approach that to minimize the damage and build up the antibodies so that we don't have to let this affect us forever. Yeah, and I I, I did see something, uh, I guess this was a few weeks ago now, it was in the New York Times and like a bunch of other places, but the there was a study that, that said it, the, the, um, the 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 boundary for for herd immunity might be as low as like 50% which would be herd immunity can you explain that to me so uh that's that's like if enough people get it uh and usually the number i saw was like 70 or 90 but um if that many people get it then the virus can't spread because there's not enough new right. new hosts yeah mm -hmm. i mean yeah, and that's like and like, there. <laughs> and so some countries like initially the UK and, and I think Sweden still has this policy, but um, uh, thought that that was just the way to go from the beginning, and so they were actively trying to get people like infected. Yeah, but get I it mean, over with. yeah, but I mean, you still run into into the, like a hospital surge problem, mm -hmm. or even if even if that's your goal, then like uh, you could still just uh cause people to die even not from covid just from not being able to to get the treatment they need for other stuff so yeah it's um, a complicated issue yeah um so let's sidestep that and how will this affect the music industry <laughs> or just i mean not even well yeah just like i think performing arts in general performing kinda, arts um yeah. i think that a lot of people who are trying to make a living in the performing arts will no longer be trying to make a living in the performing arts. Um, unfortunately, I think that there's already a lot of about the amount of work available in, in these fields that's kind of spurred on by the universities who want to earn a profit by getting students paying tuition and so they'll kind of beef up the stats about how easy it is to get a job when you when you graduate um, one, one yeah. of the things that was striking to me that I learned in the music entrepreneurship certificate that I did with Dr. Jeffrey Nitsch at the University of Colorado Boulder was that only 15% of music students who graduate will go on to have a career in the industry. Damn. Is that like at all? Or is it like for, uh, for some amount of time? I think at all, although okay. uh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just wondering if I would count <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Hard to say. I don't. I don't know how they did that. <laughs> I mean, you're out there. You're doing things. You're getting gigs at South by Southwest. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, like I said, I could have kind of kept going indefinitely, had I not had a crisis and and this whole thing happened. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I'm also yeah. pretty sure that figure includes like teachers, independent yeah. and school teachers. Mm -hmm. And, you know all the all the other music related jobs 
Yeah. So, so the amount of jobs that's available and the amount of demand there is for music, there's a lot of people who don't realize how how little it is, and now there's no longer any sort of scaffolding that could help them to cling on to that that hope. So I think a lot of people are going to abandon their their creative pursuits. Yeah. Yeah, it's like really crushing. Like I'm, I'm glad we both got at least a couple years in, or a few years in, out of school. Like I can't imagine like like having having graduated like last summer. Fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> or like just being about to finish your degree, and then like all this shit happens and. Um, yeah. yeah. Good luck class of 2020 yeah <laughs> yeah yeah like like i said i want to i want to believe that people will like accept more radical solutions to to reforming the music industry but i, I just don't know if it's going to happen yeah um, greed is the main yeah. thing standing yeah. in the way yeah although i will say like that the uh one of the things that made me think about the um the idea of, of streaming services, like, uh, well, one, what goes along with what I said about uh, giving artists, like, stipends enough to live on is that they would be, like, exclusive with a particular streaming service. So, like, your music mm. would only be on Tidal or only be on Spotify. And, you, I mean, the, the person would have to be big enough that people would care. <laughs> so how do you get I to guess. that point? Yeah. Well, the, the thing that uh, happened recently that I don't, I don't know if you saw, or I guess this is happening, like, literally in uh literally tomorrow in a, or in about like <laughs> two or three hours is uh joe rogan who has like uh what's like cons- consistently like the number one or one or two podcast in in the in the world um and has racked up just like millions upon millions of, of youtube views and all that stuff for you know like i think like at this point like 1500 episodes or something um Tomorrow he's going exclusively on Spotify and taking all the full episodes off of YouTube and off of Apple Podcasts and after uh, off of all these other services. Shit. Um, which is uh, and when it, when this got announced uh, like a few m- months ago, uh, people people were like freaking out about it because it's kind of like a game changer. Um, uh, but yeah, that that kind of got me thinking about about. Uh, people going like exclusive with with streaming services directly yeah at the moment though i mean they've kind of done this before with some major pop stars where they get an exclusive deal isn't that kind of just like a marketing gimmick like to get people i want to listen to oh my god i love katy perry i want to listen to her music but the only place is on spotify so i guess i better do it i mean but like if it's literally if if it's literally choice between that or like pirating music i feel like uh i don't know people might be more inclined Mm -hmm. um i just think that people don't necessarily recognize the difference between an exclusive deal that some very heavy hitter creator is going to score with these big streaming companies and the kind of experience that people who are just starting to get off the ground are going to experience. Yeah, yeah, no, you're you're totally right. It's it's a it's a totally different thing. 
Yeah, you're right. I mean, but it could go back to, you know, that the if the streaming service thinks you have actual potential, then they could, uh, if not, like, totally support you, give you some some chunk of change so that you could, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, um, that sounds that's promising to me. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's an interesting, because I was going to ask you, like, if if we were to consider like universal basic income for artists how i think a lot of people especially conservatives would want to know how are you going to make this so people don't take advantage of it mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> you're saying and, and, and would you consider making weird like beep boop avant-garde music to take advantage of <laughs> your hippie uh, trash your, your, your tax dollars at work people. <laughs> you're welcome so i so i can create my my 48 tet uh chamber opera about uh <laughs> the discovery of the higgs boson mm. <laughs> yeah. um, um but you're saying if it's an, an if it's a deal with the streaming companies that maybe they get to vet what is okay and what is not okay yeah i mean it's the thing i mean like you know there's already the phenomenon of, of like soundcloud rappers getting signed because they had some track that blew up you know like one track to you know a, a million million streams or whatever um so it's like you can you can create kind of like an organic network on like YouTube or, or SoundCloud and then use that as, as evidence that, that, you know, you're, mm. that you're, you're connecting with people. Interesting. Um, of course that it's still like a, a one in a million or one, you know, one in a very large number shot that you would, you know, your, your stuff will go viral like that or, or gain any traction at all. Yeah, and that's kind of the problem, too, because we talked about how music develops, and I think they say in this article as well, it's it's never from the top down. It's always the outlying weirdos at the bottom who no one appreciates what they're doing for a long time. They're the ones who get the new ideas that revolutionize the, the music and the genres. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, I'll say something very cliche, which is that, uh, like, I mean, this whole pandemic was the first time where I felt like I was living through like a historical event. Cause I, I mean, I don't, I don't really remember like nine 11 or anything. I mean, like, I guess like Barack Obama being elected was like the closest thing to a historical event that I feel like I've, I'd witnessed before this. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, like, even considering the effect that it has had on the stock market, I think it's the biggest yeah, I mean, spike uh, in history. Right. I, I, <laughs> I think it's the I, biggest trough. I forget if it's, history. is it worse than the Great Depression? I, it probably depends how you measure it. I, um, I don't think it's quite as bad by, uh, by a lot of metrics. Yeah, but, it depends um, how you measure it. It was, it was, it was probably like the biggest, biggest drop. Uh, mm hmm like like in in absolute terms or whatever yeah yeah fastest drop yeah yeah it, it, it's strange to me because it's 
in some ways changing everything and in the other ways my life is almost exactly the same as before <laughs> you lucky bastard <laughs> I suppose so I mean I, I can't complain when I can consider what so many people are going through yeah I mean it'll, it'll probably like define pretty much the rest of our 20s for, for both of us which is I mean for me for, for you who hasn't like changed anything before maybe <laughs> maybe not but it, it'll be a, it'll be a thing for the rest of our 20s at least probably Yep. Hooray. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't write write down like a a happy note to finish things on. Yeah. Happy virus. Wrap it up so that everything's nice. Yeah, I mean, I think some subjects there's just there's only one note to end on. <laughs> it's like a 16th century counterpoint. You know that the the note you ended on is it's just the one note. Yep. Yep. Can't have a fucking like major chord or uh <laughs> the what's what's the jazz one like the sharp 11 add six chord sharp yeah sharp 11 <laughs> <laughs> or or like or like minor major seven <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the one yeah nope that just uh just an octave <laughs> oh getting fancy are we <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> thanks for listening, guys. Uh, join us next time.